0: Welcome to Behind the Curtain, L.A. Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Morris Robinson is considered one of the most compelling and sought-after basses performing today. He regularly appears at the Metropolitan Opera, where he is a graduate of the Lindemann Young Artist Program. He made his L.A. Opera debut in 2009 in the Magic Flute, and has appeared many times subsequently in numerous thrilling roles. L.A. Opera audiences love him, especially our teen audiences. Mr. Robinson regularly meets with students and has been one of the greatest ambassadors in welcoming young people into the Opera House. In this behind-the-curtain conversation, recorded immediately preceding the final dress rehearsal of Rigoletto in 2018, Mr. Robinson chats with L.A. Opera's president and CEO, Christopher Kelsch, and an audience of several hundred local students.
1: My name is Christopher Kelch. I'm the president and CEO of LA Opera, and it is my huge pleasure, on behalf of the entire company, to welcome you to this afternoon's dress rehearsal of Giuseppe Verdi's Rigoletto. Uh, we're going to start this morning with Morris Robinson, the acclaimed American bass, who is singing the role of the villain, Sparafucile. So, when you were the age of the people in this room, what, what future did you see for yourself in terms of a career?
2: Well, it started with an opera singer, so. Uh, are you guys all high school or middle school? Middle school, okay. High school, okay, oh. the high school kids over here. No, when I was your age, I wasn't even in chorus. I was in a band. I played a uh, baritone horn. I was always an instrument. I always really was good at music, so uh, my mother knew that I could sing, but I didn't want to sing, I and played, I played the drums at church, and I played the baritone horn in, in the band. That
1: was it. Why didn't you want to sing?
2: Why didn't I want to sing? Yeah. All right, so I'm a big dude. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and... You know, when you're from the South and you're a big guy down that way, you have to play sports. It's like the thing to do, you know, so I didn't want to sing. I, I was in the Atlanta boy choir, and I used to be envious of all the kids that played football. I would go and see them with their football equipment, and I had my little bow tie on, and I thought, I'm such a nerd. I don't want to do this, so at this age, there's a wanting to fit in, wanting to matter, wanting to be the cool guy, so I didn't want to do the music thing, and here you have it, 30 years later, I do it for a living, so yeah. You never know where life is going to take you. You never know, so.
1: So what future did you imagine for yourself when you were 16 years old? Did, did you think about your, what your career could be?
2: By the time I was 16, I wanted to play in the NFL. Yep. I was pretty good in football. Uh, I made it to a high school performing arts and my mother made me audition for the chorus. And uh, you know, she was like, you're gonna go back and you're gonna, so I auditioned for the chorus and uh, that was actually her voice. And um, <laughs> it's true. And so I ended up, after my freshman year, I was 14 I guess, I went to the first high school football game, and I was in the marching band playing my baritone horn, and I noticed all the really cool guys are on the football field. So it worked out that if I got into the chorus of the School of the Arts, I could quit the band and be in the chorus. So I sang in order to play football. So, but I still wanted to be in the NFL, so I was looking forward to getting a football scholarship and, and going to college.
1: Uh, so when did you give up football and why? Well,
2: football, first of all, I, was, uh, I made it to college with a football scholarship. I was a two-time I made three All-American teams my senior year. I was offensive guard at a military academy called Citadel. Uh, but football, I didn't quit football. Football quit me, you know. Uh, once you have played in college, if you're not pro-material, then you don't get a chance to play at the next level. And that was really a dream killer for me because I thought, you know, there was just some ray of hope that I could make it to the NFL, and I never did. So, so that was, at that time, I quit, well, football quit me. I graduated from college and got into corporate America and worked a regular job like, like many of us do, you know.
1: So, at what point did you realize that it was much, 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 much cooler to be an opera singer than a football star? <laughs>
2: I don't know if I'm cool yet, to be honest with you, but I... Uh, uh, you're no, pretty cool. I, I think so. You know, cool as opera singers go. No, I, I don't know if I realized it was much cooler to be an opera singer. I realized that I really miss being in music. I've only loved two things in my life, that's sports and music, and... I used to practice being a producer at home. I'd get Kate and make tracks and stuff. And, you know, I was always doing that type of thing, but I really, really had this burning desire to get back into music, because that was my, the one thing I was naturally gifted at. I had to work really hard to be an athlete, but I was naturally gifted at music. So, I auditioned for a chorus in Washington, D.C., and I pulled out a piece that I learned in high school. We did the Mozart Requiem my junior year in high school. And I, uh, <clears throat> I walked into the audition, and the phrase I sang was, and the guy heard me. Okay, well. <laughs> Is that applause worthy? When I sing Spotify for Chile today, I'm the guy that's the assassin. Have you guys read up on the opera yet? And so I'm the guy he hires to kill. And I sing my name twice. I go Spotify Chile. And then I have this famous low note that if I'm well today, I can sing it. I'll go, and I'll hold it as long as the conductor lets me.
1: <laughs> while while walking backwards up a up stage, stage.
2: <laughs> I gotta walk backwards up stage. When I sing that, y'all better scream and clap, okay? <laughs> That's all I ask for. Don't clap now, save it for later.
1: But only if he hits the note. Well, I'm gonna hit the note. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, let's hope I do. Be be quiet. So it's a low note, and I gotta sing walking backwards uphill. That's hard to do. So
1: no matter what he does, scream and cheer. Yeah, scream and cheer anyway. It don't matter. <laughs> So, I mean, I think about this a lot because, you know, when, when I was your age, when, when you were their age, it's hard to imagine what your career options are. So you had defined yourself as wanting to be an athlete, and you became something else. Does that feel like super, not supernatural, meaning like witchcraft, but does it feel natural to you now as that this, this actually was your calling and you were just resisting that call?
2: I feel like I was put on this planet to do exactly what I'm doing. And it's very rare that you find exactly what you're put on this earth to do, and you do it, and you can earn a living at it, and you enjoy it. When I was in corporate America working for the large companies I worked for, I enjoyed my job, but I always felt like that's not what I'm here to do. You know, I I was good at it, but only because it gave me a check, and it was that type of thing. But this is actually what I know I was put on this earth to do. Now, where did I get the background from that? Starting at your age, I was playing sports, I was playing the drums at church, I was very reluctantly singing in the chorus, (laughs) I was you know, working out all the time, I was doing all these things, and I never knew that at the age of 30, one of those things that I developed at this age was going to be what actually fueled my life, and that's what it was. So I'm telling you guys this so you can understand that everything that you do, strive to be really good at it, because you never know what you're going to reach back and grab, and that's what you're going to end up doing. You go to college, and you get a degree, and Some feel that you may or may not like, and you find out at the age of 30 that I don't like this so much. What I really like to do is interior design, or what I really like to do is make records, or what I really like to do is DJ, or what I really like to do is play with pets. So, you know, any of these scenes that you develop now, either as a hobby or as something that you actually do, you never know what you're going to rely upon later in life. So enjoy yourselves and, and try to make yourself very diversified so that you can draw upon these scenes when you get older.
1: So what's a, what's a typical day for, I mean, you're a very acclaimed, very much in demand singer. What, what is a typical day for you and how much, how much control, I mean, I think you all know this, but uh, most singers have relationships with opera companies all around the world. And so um, do, you, do you have control over your schedule, over the, over the parts you want to take on, over when you get to take time off and when you need to be on the road? Well, I, I'd
2: like to think I have some control of those things now. Um... When I was starting out, I took everything that came my way. Every job I could get, I took it because I need to eat, and I wanted to get better. Um, I still take mostly everything that comes my way because now it fits into the genre of what I sing. Everyone knows my voice. They know my voice type. They know what I do. So if they offer me something, nine times out of 10, it fits what, I'm, what I do. Uh, but I have a 12-year-old kid. He's a seventh grader. And I'm on the road all the time. So we use WhatsApp and FaceTime all the time to communicate. I'd like to be home with him. Uh, but I go home after I get done with this gig. I go home for about two weeks, and then I go to Milwaukee. I get done with that. I go to London. When I get done with that, I go to Cincinnati. Then I'm back here in LA. So it's it's hard to balance those things. So as far as control goes, I try to be smart about it. I asked him to come out to LA. He didn't want to come out here because I didn't have an in-ground po- uh, indoor pool. <laughs> priorities. <laughs> and he and his friends are having some video game tournament, so he had to do that. But you know, I got a I got a one-year-old puppy. Uh, he's a golden doodle. He's the greatest dog in the world. So I don't get a chance to... That, those fighting words. What?
1: My doodle will fight your golden doodle.
2: What kind of doodle do you have? I have a Bernadoodle. Oh, um, I don't know. Cash is pretty rough. Oh. I caught him outside. I live on a lake, and he was Feud. out chasing the ducks one day. So yeah. he, he's really, really aggressive. But no, I mean, I want to be, be a golden doodle aggressive. Like, that's the oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I want to I be all these things. And I think that being... A family man and being a professional takes a lot of balance, but I try to make sure I have a schedule such that I can do all those things. So
1: so walk us through what a, what a typical day is, the, the kind of discipline that you need in order to produce that low note for them so they can uh, scream for you.
2: Well, you know, I think that uh, as a singer, I learned now that there are certain things I can eat that cause me to have indigestion and reflux, and that's not good for singing. As far as discipline and learning music and that kind of thing, I mean, you guys would really be surprised. I probably listen to more music that you listen to than opera. Like, I only listen to opera when I have to listen to opera. And I think that's balanced. Like, I listen to a lot of R&B, I listen to a lot of hip-hop. But no, I mean, I try to keep it pretty balanced. Uh, a normal day for me would be get up in the morning, cut the TV on immediately, right to Sports Center, see what's happening, you know? Uh, and then I flop between that and CNN. I don't warm up, usually, until I get to the theater. I'll have some coffee, which is the worst thing for me to drink, but I have to get awake some kind of way. And then I'll make some breakfast, maybe go work out. I know it doesn't look like it, but I actually work out. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, and, and wait around for rehearsal. As an opera singer, you know, our days don't usually start until afternoon anyway because we're up so late. Last night we were at the theater until 10.30. I didn't get to bed till almost 1 o'clock and I had to wake up early this morning to get ready to come to you guys. So Yeah, but a typical day, there is no typical day. I mean, I, I listen to... I do a lot of sports, a lot of sports television. I watch every game that I can, especially football. And I listen to various types of music, like really. So,
1: so if you're, how many times have you sung "Spark for Chile"? Do you think?
2: Okay, so "Spark for Chile." Let's see, this is probably my seventh production of it. So I've done Rigoletto quite a bit. I did my first one in 2005, and then I've done, like I said, five or six more since then. So I'm pretty familiar with the role. Uh, what do I like about this role? So as a base, you get to be king's, god, kings, gods, priests, fathers, devils most of the time. You have a deep voice, so you're the voice of authority. When I walk out and sing, everyone listens, and I command the audience and that type of thing. I'm the king. I'm the high priest. In this, I'm kind of a slimy character, you know. Uh, he hires me to kill somebody, and I'm very honorable about that because my sister, who I use to lure me in, actually falls in love with the guy I'm supposed to kill. So I'm like... Bruh, you messing up the scheme here. You know, get on script. Like, you are supposed to lure him out, I'm supposed to kill him. Please don't kill him, please. So I'm telling her, I'm a very honorable man. He paid me to kill this guy. I'm going to kill this guy, and she keeps begging and pleading with me. We have a couple of fights. I enjoy that interaction, because I don't get to do that often. I usually just stand and sing, and people listen to me. So this should be fun. <laughs>
1: So tell us, how do you prepare, the first time you took on this role, how do you determine whether you can do it, whether it's something that's interesting for you, and then how do you actually go about learning the role?
2: Well, when I first took on the role, I did it in English, in Opera Theatre St. Louis. And the first thing I do is, I'll listen to a recording of it, and I'll have a score with me just to determine the range of it. Can I sing the high notes? Can I sing the low notes? Does it fit comfortably with what I can do? And then... As I've now later in my years, I, I determine if it's something I want to do, you know, if it's the type of message I want, is it something that feeds into my character? Sometimes when you're on stage, you want to be able to act out things that you don't really get a chance to do. You know, it's fun to be, to pretend, it's fun to, to embody a characterization that don't, doesn't normally fit your character too, so that's why I like this role so much.
1: So, uh, we're gonna have to let you go in a few minutes, but I wanna make sure that uh, we field some questions from the audience. So, uh, this is from Tommaso from Venice High School. Thank you, Tommaso. Yeah. Uh, the question is, is it more difficult to act in Rigoletto than to master the, uh, the, the art of operatic singing?
2: Well, there's a good, that's a really good question. Uh, it requires both. Uh, like I said, a lot of my roles, I'm a very majestic character, so I get to stand right in the middle and go, oh, and everyone listens to me. In this role, I actually have to do a lot of interaction. The first scene, not so much. I mean, we're playing off of one another, but the scenes with my sister are pretty intense, and they're very involved, so I have to be able to act while maintaining a vocal line. And so it's very difficult. I mean, you just have to find that balance, and that's why we rehearse. We, we practice it over and over. You find things that do work. You know, stand here, because if I'm trying to sing this, I need you to be at this angle so I can sing out. You know, uh, I'm going to do this to you, but I'm not going to grab you too hard, because I know you have to sing this. I'm going to slap you right here, but you know, I'm going to act like I'm slapping you. I need you to turn your head so I can sing this song. So we work out all these little details every day in rehearsals, such that when we get in front of you guys, it looks seamless, but you can also hear us and, and understand what we're
1: saying. This is also from Venice High School. Um, the question is, what vocal exercises do you do to prepare yourself for a performance?
2: Well, OK, so I'm a bass. <laughs> I think you guys know that now. I don't typically typically warm up a lot. Um, I'm one of the rare people, when you're seeing my voice range, you talk in the range that you sing. Tenors don't walk around talking like this all the time. <laughs> so they have to warm up. You know, I, talk right here in my first words, are senior, it's right in my speaking voice. So I'm warming up as I talk all day. So I don't really have to do a lot of warming up. So that's, my vocal exercise used to be, I'm so scared I'm not going to talk, put a scarf around my throat, and I realized that didn't work for me. The more I talk and get things going, the better I sound as I start to sing, so.
1: So, uh, but sometimes you're not feeling well. Sometimes, Have you ever canceled a performance?
2: I've never canceled a show because I'm sick.
1: I mean, I'm an ex-football
2: player. If I can go out there and get hit, I ain't gonna cancel them singing. Like, well,
1: because the follow the follow-up question is: is your is your voice insured? So you're, you're the, the entirety of your of your life is now devoted to this art form, right. and you're relying on an instrument which is not an external instrument. It's not like a violin or or a a, a set of drums. Um, you're relying on something that you don't have total control right. over, even if you sleep right and eat right. So, um, is is that insured?
2: Well, you know, it's it's. It is always a gamble. I wake up every morning when I have a show and I go, <clears throat> just to see what's there, you know, because some mornings it's not there. And when it's not there, that's when I actually do get nervous because I'm, I'm, I have really bad allergies. In California, I thought it would be a great place It's on the water, but no, it's all kinds of Santa Ana winds come in. There's all kinds of stuff. I was at Santa Monica on Sunday walking on the beach, getting some fresh air and realized about halfway through, I started talking like this. And I didn't know what that was, but I thought I think it was the air coming in from other places that were, was bringing in pollen and debris. So I kind of lost my voice, and I was like, uh-oh, this ain't good. But, you know, you just, if I feel like that, then I'll start singing to try to move the mucus and stuff off my vocal cords so that I'll be able to sing when I get to the theater. I mean, you don't control your instrument. It is inside your body. I was talking to the bass player the other day, the, you know, the big upright bass player. He says, I show up at the theater, I just play. He says, you guys show up, everything has to be perfect for you to sound right, and sometimes it's not. And we compensate for that. So.
1: Okay, the last question comes from uh, Alexis Zamora from Discovery Prep. And it is, what is the best part of your job?
2: The best part of my job? That's a good question. There's so many good things to think about. But honestly, the best part of my job is knowing that this is what I do for a living. And even if I weren't getting paid to sing, I'd probably be singing anyway because I enjoy music. So I've actually found a way been blessed with an opportunity from the lord on high to do something that i enjoy doing and earn a living at it that's the best part of my job Reaching out to people, touching them, affecting their lives through music—you know, uh, giving someone a visceral experience of of hearing beautiful music created by geniuses and performed by very talented people—so that's the best
1: part of my job. Fantastic! Uh, please join me in thanking Morris uh, for spending some time before the performance.
0: You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thank you, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Operas Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.